Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. I'm Katrina Blowers. It is Monday, September 13, the start of a brand new week. Well, on this morning's briefing, the dual Paralympic gold medalist Curtis McGrath on the new conversation we should all be having post-Paralympics. Everyone's been told off as a kid not to point and stare and ask questions and yeah. leave that person alone. It's not actually rude. It's inquisitive nature of humans and we need to sort of embrace that. Hey, Annika, I know that you and Tom had an incredible chat with Curtis just before he went to Tokyo and that was all about his mindset, the mindset of becoming a gold medalist and a winner and not letting the really tough things that happen to you in your life get you down. So we catch up with him again this morning from quarantine. First up though, let's get into the headlines. Families are being urged to roll up their sleeves together and take advantage of an extra 1 million Moderna vaccines which will arrive in Australia soon. Bookings for jabs open today for children as young as 12. Now that means everyone from 12 to 59 can go along to their community pharmacy where Moderna is being administered and they'll be able to go and get a family jab. I'm going to hop on there today and see how difficult or easy that is to register. I'm hoping it's going to be the latter. That's the PM, Scott Morrison, speaking there. The government secured the extra doses from several European countries, including Spain, the Czech Republic, Portugal and Bulgaria. Those vaccines are hitting local pharmacies next week. But as we just mentioned, you can get on there and make your booking today. The extra shots are on top of the 15 million jabs Australia has already signed up to receive and come a week after the vaccine regulator, Ataji, approved the drug for anyone aged over 12. Now, Pfizer has already been cleared for children as young as 12 as well. Big day for New South Wales. Lockdown rules are slightly easing after Premier Gladys Berejiklian held her could-be-last-ever daily COVID press conference saying she needed to focus on the other parts of her job. I need a clear head. The next two months will be the most challenging our state has seen, perhaps ever. Premier Berejiklian has fronted the media every morning at 11am for the past 12 weeks. But from today, health officials will be sharing the latest COVID news by video. So real uh, kind of mixed response to that, Annika. Some people are saying, well, fair enough, you've, you've really done the hard yards here and turned up every day. And others are saying, well, that's your job, actually, and you should be doing this, um, including the state opposition leader, Chris Minns, who says that he'll be holding his own 11am press conference today and that COVID information is vital. The Premier of New South Wales can't choose when to be accountable. We need daily information from the New South Wales government now more than ever. The shift in the government's approach comes as fully vaccinated people outside those hotspot LGAs will be able to gather outdoors in groups of five as long as they're within their five-kilometre limit. Sydney siders living in hotspot areas will also be given an extra one hour outdoors if adults have received two doses of the jab. Yeah, we should also add just on um, Gladys Berejiklian's decision not to hold those press conferences that uh, it, the timing comes as the New South Wales ICAC is, uh, that's the uh, anti-corruption watchdog, is set to restart its investigation into former New South Wales Liberal MP Daryl Maguire. You might remember the Premier of New South Wales was previously questioned by ICAC during its investigation into Maguire last year. 
The British government has ditched plans requiring people to show a vaccine passport to get into major events, despite warnings the coming winter could lead to a surge in cases. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson made the announcement overnight after members of his Conservative Party said requiring passports would put a burden on businesses and also could become a human rights issue. So possibly it could be a bit of a glimpse into the future for the types of issues we're going to face going forward. The British government says it's not expecting any more lockdowns, but opposition politicians say the British Health Service is fearing its worst winter ever. The UK has been recording around 30,000 cases of COVID per day since opening up following that Freedom Day in July. But they are lower than last winter and also the number of hospitalisations and people in ICU is also down. The FBI has released newly declassified documents showing two of the 9-11 hijackers received support from Saudi Arabian officials in the US. Released on the 20th anniversary of the attacks, the documents show the officials met with two of the Saudi hijackers when they arrived in the country to help them settle into life in the US. Yeah, so this is significant because the victims and the families of the 9-11 attacks have previously filed lawsuits alleging that the Saudi government officially supported the hijackers. Now, this report does not show evidence Saudi Arabia was involved in the hijackers' plans to attack the World Trade Centre and the Pentagon. The report was released by President Joe Biden, who ordered the declassification review of intelligence material that for years have remained out of the public's view. And Aussie Formula One driver Daniel Ricciardo has broken his three-year win drought, taking out first at the Italian Grand Prix. Daniel Ricciardo, you're the winner again. Can I swear? I want to swear. No, you can't swear. About time. <laughs> so that's Ricardo speaking to ESPN there. It is his eighth career victory and his first one since 2018. Meanwhile, the Wallabies had an unexpected win overnight, beating world champions South Africa 28 to 26 on the Gold Coast. All right, Annika, thanks for that. Antoinette Latouf is jumping in next as we chat to dual Paralympic gold medalist Curtis McGrath on some of those tough conversations we should all be having. Curtis McGrath, you are a machine. He's powering away, just needs to finish now. Curtis McGrath heads for a golden hat-trick. The mighty McGrath, he makes it three from three at the Paralympics. Wow, wasn't that one of the most incredible moments of the recent Para Games in Tokyo? That audio from Channel 7 there of Curtis McGrath winning his third career gold in the canoe sprint. Uh, you no doubt saw pictures of him up on the medal podium in Tokyo. Antoinette, the para canoeist, just won not one, but two golds for Australia, making it, as we heard, a golden hat trick. Love that expression. So impressive, especially for a person like me who only ever got green participation ribbons at the sports <laughs> carnival. Before becoming an athlete, he was a Defence Force engineer with one of the most dangerous jobs in Afghanistan, and that was clearing landmines. 
So in 2012, disaster struck and both of Curtis's legs were blown off. And as he was being stretched off, this is such an incredible story. He actually told the other soldiers that one day they would see him in the Para Games. And uh, we did a briefing interview with Curtis before he went to Tokyo. That's definitely worth listening to. He, he told us that the reason he said that was to try and lift his fellow soldiers up because he could see how devastated they were at his injuries and he wanted to give them something to hope for. And it's a, a feat he actually achieved, which is absolutely incredible. He gave hope to his colleagues and then he did it. He actually won gold at the very next Paralympic Games. He set himself another goal after that of bagging two more gold medals, a feat he also achieved. And Curtis joins us from quarantine now. How was it for you competing at the Paralympics, obviously given the pandemic and the circumstances and the fact that there weren't crowds and loved ones around you as you'd usually expect? Yeah, it was a really different Games. In a most fundamental and, and grassroots sort of style, it was all about the sport this time, which was really cool. But not having any international competition for the last two years was something that was a bit of a, a challenge, so to say. But, um, yeah, it was different and it was a little bit sad looking up at the crowd and uh, mm. the, the grandstand, I should say, and not seeing the crowd. And there was a little bit of um, cheering from the other teams and um, athletes and support staff there. But, um, yeah, it was a little bit sort of airy compared to the Rio games, which I competed in. Now, you set yourself some goals for, for more gold and you did achieve that. However, it wasn't super easy for you this time around. Um, you had a bit of a rudder issue that meant that you finished third in your heat and you also said you were battling some nerves. What was that like for you? As I said before, you know, not competing for two years and then all of a sudden you're the third race of the or the fourth race of the Paralympic Games and it's not... I wouldn't say overwhelming. It's just there's certain things that go through your mind and certain things that you should have done in your warm-ups and all that sort of thing. But, you know, I'm glad I had the, the opportunity to have a, uh, a semi-final. So, therefore, I could have a, a few, you know, cobweb moments, so mm. to say. And I did have an issue in, with the uh, the rudder in my kayak. And then you know, the rule is if you drift out of your lane, you get disqualified. So, trying to make sure that that wasn't the case and um, I just decided that halfway down the, the race the 200 meter race I'd I'd just slow down and make sure I'd go through to a semi-final and have another crack at it uh, the next day so obviously the nerves as well you know there was a, a bit of pressure you know the, the whole five-year cycle is is something that you know you work so hard towards and you want to make sure that you execute in a certain way and you've been training so much and working on all these different aspects of your race and trying to put it all together for a 40-second mad dash is a little bit pressure-inducing. So having the nerves there, but it just means that, you know, it's what you want and, and it means something to you. So it's yeah. sort of a good sign as well. I guess that that's one way of looking at it. However, in the moment when you know that it's, you know, you don't get a redo of this kind of stuff. For the rest of us, what tips do you have for overcoming nerves when something is super important to you and you've got to perform in that moment? For me, thinking about what you have to do, you know how to do it. So go there and execute it. You've, you've done the work, you've done the training, you're, you're fit, you're strong or, or whatever it might be. It might be applying to a, an assignment. You know how to do that. It's just a matter of applying and, and, and executing with precision. And 
The other thing that I've, I've found that works is, is try to think about, especially when it's a really high pressure situation, just have like a, a funny scene in a movie or a thought or you know, a situation what you remember or a story. It just sort of takes you away from that moment and, and puts a little smile on your face and, and then you can go in with sort of a clear mind. Some good tips there. And, and speaking of movies, first it was Russell Crowe, then Sam Neill, then Pavlovas, and now Curtis McGrath. And what they all have in common is Kiwis that Aussies have claimed as their own. And I bet our New Zealand cousins are a bit jealous right now. Um, yeah, well, I, I remember um, at Rio uh, when I got announced as the closing flag bearer for Australia, they they did announce on New Zealand TV that there would be two New Zealand flag bearers, one for Australia and oh. one for New Zealand, which I thought was a bit cheeky. But I'm very honoured and, and very happy to represent Australia. And, and, you know, they've supported me and gave me the capability to achieve my dreams and you know, initially I did want to compete for New Zealand and, and realised that it was a, a difficult um, situation just in terms of my medical treatment and, and also the program, the paracanoe program in Australia was very much established and uh, New Zealand was sort of up and coming and that was something that I you know, made the decision that I needed to select the team that was going to support me in order to achieve my goals. And it's not a decision that I regret at all. I'm very proud and, and honoured to represent Australia. Now, you've got a book coming out, I believe, uh, later this year. Is that right? November? Mm-hmm. Blood, Sweat and Steel. What's it going to have in this book? What is, are you going to have some, uh, <laughs> I guess, the story of, of your success and also some mindset tips, I'm guessing? Yeah, it, definitely. So that's a book I've been working with James Phelps, the writer. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a writer, so um, I needed his help and his expertise to get through that process. So it's been a long one and talking through my whole story of my life and, and up to this moment. And it has been really um, sort of reflective and insightful of my life and what I've achieved and, you know, working through all 33 years of it and about you know, a couple of months is, is really interesting and, and reminiscent of my 33 years. So it is working through, you know, the triumphs and tragedies of my life and, and figuring out how I got around that and how I look at life um, in a more sort of a bigger picture sort of feel. So I'm just trying to do the best I can with m- what I've got and what I've been given and, and trying to make the most of all the opportunities. And I hope that comes through in my book. People with a disability at the moment are, are being recognised and represented in ways that um, it didn't happen until very recently. For example, Paralympic medal winners are now awarded cash prizes like their Olympian counterparts. And, you know, I've noticed I'm someone who's very passionate about diversity and representation. And I've noticed more characters with a disability are scripted into popular programs on Netflix and Stan. You know, obviously, I'm sure you've noticed this shift. Um, What what do you make of it? Well, yeah, it is an amazing shift and an amazing recognition of of the 20% of of all Australians that are living with a, a disability and even, you know, globally as well. If all the disabled people were in one country, would be the, the fourth or fifth largest nation on the planet. So it's evident that there's needed to be a shift in terms of representation of what is normal. And, you know, there's still a long way to go. There needs to be equal opportunity on every level of every opportunity of every organisation, of every, you know, corporate it needs to be everywhere and the faster and, and sooner we can get to that, the more people feel included. And, and that's not just for disability, that's for, you know, race and religion and, mm-hmm. and gender. And, and that, I think, is being, you know, for, first and foremost in sport as female um, representation within cricket and NRL and AFL grows, it's hopefully the disability side of things can come through next. My colleagues and friends with a disability get frustrated sometimes when it falls short, you know, when it only 
narratives are only around, you know, what they call inspo porn, you know, inspiration porn, or just a token character in a wheelchair who kind of wheels in and wheels out of a scene quite quickly. What have been some of your frustrations or what have you noted are perhaps failed attempts at representation and inclusion? A person who's re- really good at this is, is Kurt Fernley and Maddie Di Rosario. Um, I personally can't think of any situation or, or instance that, that I've been, you know, directly stopped in, in any attempt to do something. Mm-hmm. But I just think that the the immediate assumption that that person's not able to do it is probably the main full stop. I, I think that would be probably something that needs to be a little bit changed and, and maybe how about we give them the opportunity for them to tell us or, or, or I to tell them that I can't do it rather than assuming straight away. It is, you know, obviously having to ask the question each time, but I think that's, you know, just courtesy and, and understanding that they might have a different way of doing something that's outside the box and, mm. and just giving them that chance. Yeah, some great advice. Yeah, just having conversations about it, I guess, where we're all just speaking more openly, right? And do you think that that's happening exactly. more now? I think so. You know, I think people are starting to realise that people with disability have amazing life experience, amazing sort of different ways of seeing things and, and are really starting to be heard in a way that we've all sort of been interested to hear because, you know, everyone's been told off as a kid not to point and stare and ask questions and yeah. leave that person alone. It's, oh, it's, it's changing. Rude, with, yeah. yeah, it's not actually rude. It, it's it's inquisitive nature of humans and, and we need to sort of embrace that and, and get kids and, and even adults to understand that if they want to know something, just come and ask. You know, it's, it's you know, we, we need to keep that curiosity going and we can grow as a, as a people and as a nation. So Antoinette, uh, I'm sure we won't see the last of Curtis McGrath, even though he says that he's on a rest period now. He seems like somebody who's so driven that uh, he's bound to get bored very quickly. But what I loved most about that discussion was the chat that we had around diversity and to just not be afraid to have those tricky conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Just just ask the question. Ask it kindly and with an open heart and an open mind. It was also really heartening for me to hear that someone who is as amazing and impressive as he is still gets nervous. That makes me mortals like me feel a little bit better. (laughs) And coming up on tomorrow's briefing, we take a look at those controversial abortion laws in the US state of Texas. Listener.